Hey guys, George Mesa, Third Eye Edify podcast. And today's episode is not only something that I've been waiting to do for such a long time, but I recently met somebody through the channels. Um, shout out to Bird Dog, Mystic Ronin, and his, his ways, his words, his level of inspiration in every sentence, the way that he speaks, the way that he listens even, has inspired me to make sure this episode comes out. And thankfully, he has very graciously offered his time to help unravel and decode the Konami codes. He has helped, um, he's helped me come up with an outline and idea for the Mario Brothers series. I've been waiting to do this for a very long time, as a good amount of you probably already know that watch this show. And I think it's finally time and I've got a wingman that I am sure if if some of my some of my viewers do know who you are, but the ones that don't, you will be a fan instantaneously. So with having said all that, Kilel, please introduce yourself and let everyone know what you're all about and where they can find out more about what you do. Because I, I'm very excited to hopefully introduce you to even more people. The world is an incredible place with people like you in it. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that, Jorge. I feel the exact same way about you. Um, you are a beautiful, beautiful reflection of the heart and the mind merge, which is that 47, which is a wonderful connection. Um, I try to embody, um, as well as Mr. Gronin, so shout out to my brother, um, and Moonfeather as well. Um, shout out to your wife, who is doing some of the most powerful and incredible work you can actually do in this realm. Um, and that's really ultimately why it's such a deep um, honor to be here in, the, in talking about this particular vein of existence we call video games, we call Super Mario, because it is ultimately a reflection of the feminine. Um, in so many different ways. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. It is, it is an, uh, a true honor and a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for that. Really means a lot to me. Thank you so much, really. So, <laughs> as we were saying just before we jumped on here, and I think a lot of my audience can almost maybe picture it in their heads, there is just a lot of different directions this can go. And unlike almost any other video game series, this particular one, has touched people from many generations. It's almost 40 years old. Well, it's technically over 40 years old, but a lot of people had their first take of it almost 40 years ago. Adults at this point, grandparents, they were there when their kids have it, when their kids first got it. They, then the parents get it. And, and Mario has been ever-present in our lives in so many different ways. And a lot of people, I think, don't, take into account how impactful a video game can be versus other forms of entertainment, movies, music, TV shows, whatever. Now that the video game industry itself has already not only surpassed, let's just say music or movies, it's actually surpassed both of them combined. It's a very huge part of what goes on in at least the Western culture and plenty of the East as well. It's 
it's a worldwide phenomenon. And much like a character I spoke about very recently, Godzilla, Mario is a household name. He really is. And I don't think there's many other video game franchises that can even come close. And on top of that, they all are actually very good video games that play in a fun way, that play so excellently, and they're so well-crafted. But, as we're going to get to today, I think there is a lot more under the surface. And don't be surprised to find out time and time again that a series like this, or any other, that keeps getting rehashed, reimagined, new versions, um, re-releases, movies, TV shows, we'll get to all that. Don't be surprised to find out that it had intention from the start. Sure, you can read a video game magazine or some account of, you know, the people that made it, and they, they don't speak of this at all. But when you look right under the surface, it seems like there's a lot more to this series than meets the eye at a very heightened level of spirituality, symbology, and way more. I mean, it's out of control. So I'm very excited to get into it. I'm very excited, my friend. There, you just said a whole word. There's, there's so much here. Um, you know, the history of Nintendo themselves is so, um, so vast. You know, they, they started off making playing cards, right? They started off um, as a subsidiary of the Yakuza. Right, which is like the China, the Japanese mafia, which is a very, very real and powerful thing. Um, they they speak a, a coded language, um, and this language is always understood by someone. Um, Donkey Kong is actually where we see Mario for the very first time. Mm. The interesting thing about Donkey Kong is when you look at the the level design is actually capitalistic right mm. so we know that we're dealing with a certain level of of knowledge here when we look at the very first mario game for example mario is only following his intuition because it's it, it, there's a very specific track you can only go one way so you're being pulled there's so much symbolism being um being displayed in every iteration of the gaming and the system series. Very good point. Very good point. And there's a, there is something to mention with that direction as well, which we'll get to in one second, I think. But a lot of games up until this point, especially with the nature of the way arcade games are built, there's one screen. You don't leave that screen until you beat the level, maybe beat, you know, destroy all the spaceships, let's say, or whatever it happens to be. Plenty of outer space in a lot of early games as well. And that's that's a story for another day, but uh, and in Mario too, and we'll get to that. But the at the advent of the modern video game consoles coming into the home, and Nintendo completely resurrected this, by the way, because um, those dingy arcades that you may have seen back in the day they were they were kind of dying off, and Atari had already happened. Video game consoles were also on their way out, so Nintendo released the family computer, the Famicom, to remove the stigma of this, you know, nature of bringing something into your home. And as far as the surveillance state goes, it was actually a pretty big hit. As far as I can tell, the advent of bringing something into your house that you would then connect to your television and leave it there. Because nowadays they're hooked up to the internet, they're watching you. So this is the start of a lot of different things. 
And the the word that you see on the screen, Nintendo, actually has a pretty interesting meaning. The nin means entrust to. Nintendo, or ten, tendao perhaps it would be pronounced, T-E-N-D-O-U, means heaven. Do what you need to do with all of your might and then leave your luck to heaven, which I think is a, a very cool name, actually. Nothing bad to say about that at all. <laughs> and it's just a, an image of the initial Nintendo card company. Went through a lot of different names. Nintendo Kopai, Yamauchi Nintendo, Marafuku Ko, Nintendo Playing Card Company, founded by um, Fusajiro Yamauchi, September 23rd, 1889. We're going back a, a ways here. And I actually have a deck of these Hanafude cards that they make, and they're, they're so cool to see. But um, what about that date? Can we find anything with that date there? September 23rd, 1889? I don't know if these numbers really turn into anything. Well, there's an 11 right off the bat. 4, 12, 20, 29... Not necessarily, but maybe. Maybe there's 9-11-9 in there. Actually, pretty easily. I'm not always looking for that, but it just pops up all the time. <laughs> but um, this really was the start of something special. They were making a very specific card game. And for them to suddenly be... Move, they, they moved their intention from a, that kind of game to a different kind of game. It's a transmuting of sorts. So there's already a certain level of a very esoteric nature to this company. And I, I don't think I knew about the Yakuza. So that's incredible, man. Would you have any more insight into the early um, parts of the company's life? Oh, most definitely. Um, if you, <clears throat> so the, when it comes to company names and company dates, like anything, if it, it, whether it is a person, place, or thing, um, it has a birthday, essentially, um, in this realm. Um, that day is going to be very important going forward and the the asian or the eastern community knows this very well um you, you can see this reflected in, in chinese and empirically um, a little bit more than japanese but the japanese abide by the by the same principle so to speak um when it comes to business you want something you want to start your business on a day that has longevity that is a manifesting generator as opposed to necessarily being a projector. When you look at the different iterations of the company, they went through a lot of turmoil early on because it was meant to be a patriarchal um, nepotism that kind of continued. And when um, all of the founders weren't able to produce heirs or produce sons, they had to take drastic measures. And when they did that, the company would go in, in extremely different directions. So they slowly but surely began to kind of change with the times. When it came time for the video games, they looked around um, at what was very, very popular in Japan and Asia. And Donkey Kong was like a deity. You know, um, Hanuman, for anybody who may not be familiar with the Monkey King or Goku or um, from Dragon Ball, all these monkey type of um, archetypes, um, Luffy from One Piece, um, Naruto, um, all of these monkey characteristics come from this love of Hanuman in the East. Um, the Journey to the West is like the greatest story that they had, one of my absolute favorites. So they took this figure and made him giant size. And of course, just like in King Hong, they made him steal this woman, steal this princess. 
Um, and this is the first time we see, we see her as well. So then it turned into a, what if we just remove this? And they found a way to infuse so much symbolism into Mario. Um, I'm, rem I'm reminded when the Super Nintendo system first came out, or I'm sorry, when the Nintendo system first came out, I believe it was 85, um, 85 or 86. It wasn't my mother who bought it for me. It was my grandfather. And my grandfather Oh, I think I lost you for a second there. All right, maybe he's clearing up a little audio issue. Um, amazing stuff so far, and I'm just so glad I have him on this show for this because this, he's the man for the job. But I am showing the Hanufude cards, or some of them. This is definitely not all of them. There's 48 in total, as a matter of fact. So um, maybe keep these images in mind because they're, gonna, they're definitely going to come up as we look at more and more things here. And... I certainly don't want to say more because I don't want to get, I don't want to remove the thought he just had. I hope that he does come back to us really quickly. Are you, are you back with us? Can you hear me? Okay, perfect. It works again. Excellent. Okay. Your grandfather bought you the Nintendo. My aunt bought me mine. So it wasn't, wasn't my parents either, by the way. Let's keep going, please. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know it cut off. Yeah, this... yeah. I lost you for a second. It's okay. Yeah, my um, my my mother, um, she wasn't sure what to think of it because before the Nintendo, um, my cousin, my older cousin, had a ColecoVision uh, and Atari, and they would bring would bring that over to the house on occasion. But you know, there's no prying children away from video games. That was <laughs> that was obvious from a very very early standpoint. But my grandfather, um he knew how curious I was. He was the one who bought me my uh, Encyclopedia Britannica set, which became my best friends at a very, very early age. I'm talking like four years old. Right. Um, but when he saw the, this game system, it was so foreign to me that he would choose to get me that because I never asked for it. I, I wouldn't dream in a million years they would have got me that. You know what I mean? Sure, they were hundred dollars ish um, when they came out, which is a lot more in today's standards. They weren't super cheap. Well, you know, you know what's interesting. I remember um, I, I had a concept of money because he. I remember he told me how much it cost, and I didn't. Mm -hmm. It didn't really sink in because I hadn't thought about money. You know what I mean? Like, like in in that, like I I knew it existed, but um, he. <laughs> they used to have, and they don't do this anymore. They had this, um, it wasn't Toys R Us. It was a store called Children's Palace for anybody who, who may remember that uh, nostalgic company. They had a display of systems, uh, Super Mario systems, the system that came with Super Mario and Duck Hunt um, and the gun, the zapper. And they had them stacked up in a pyramid. Right, so you so you had to pick one strategically because they would all fall, you know. They didn't care. It, it was it was it was about the look. They don't do that anymore. You know, you have to call somebody. They they have to go to the back. You know, that didn't that didn't last too long. But I remember him looking up at the pyramid, and then looking down at me and said, "I'm going to get you this. You know, don't you break it because you won't get another one." I said, "Okay." And I was, I was like, really? Like, like I still, I, I, I still can't 
um, get past the, the initial shock of that. But when I began to explore why I love the series so much, it was it, it became very evident. The symbolism is nonstop throughout. Very much, very much. And I think that we may be referencing the action set, as they called it, came with the gun and the Duck Hunt Mario and a single cartridge. And that was actually 1988, April 14th, 1988. So, because I thought I had it a little earlier in life too. I was... I was about to be six years old at that point, just three days away. So, yeah, it, it, it came a little tiny bit later in my life than I thought it did, but it was all systems go from there. And this particular game really captured the heart of everyone. You know, this is the game you had to have. Everything else didn't matter for five years even. Sequels came out. It didn't matter. This was the one that you had to have, you know. And I think a really, really, we can just start to get into the esoteric nature of this all because... First of all, why donkey, right? If you replace the D with an M, you get monkey. So I think that might be why the name is what it is, because they clearly were going for a King Kong thing, of course. And in that game, Mario ascends to save the princess. He seems to have a direct link with her. He's got to get her. In, and then you had mentioned the, you know, the journey west for the Monkey King. But in the games, you travel east from west to east. So they removed the monkey, and now he's traveling in the opposite direction towards the Monkey King. So I think that's a really telling thing. You know, I, 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 and it's also against the path of the sun. So I think there's another element there to, to mention. Most games that are called side-scrollers, which is what Mario is, they travel, you travel east. So I find that to be very interesting. And if it's a Masonic temple, it's actually south. So it's also not exactly the appropriate way to go. I find that to be extremely interesting. Also, in Japan, they write the opposite way than we do. They write, if you're writing with your right hand, they write towards their heart, to the left. And then we write to the right. So they, they, they put it in the direction that we typically read it in the West. It's almost as if they were sure that the Westerners could be as receptive to it as possible. So it certainly was a big deal in the West, big time. Uh, video games sell quite well over here. So um, any comment on that, actually, with the, you know, the monkeys removed suddenly we're traveling east instead of west? Well, you have to see it's, it's counterintuitive to breaking the paradigm. So you'll notice when it comes to manga, for example, which is uh, Japanese comics, they read from right to left, right? Because this is how your brain naturally takes in information. So you'll notice that children, um, once they kind of get exposed to manga, they don't really kind of, they don't really come back to comics. A lot mm -hmm. will, you know, some can do both, but it's, it's about, it's about the creativity in your mind. A lot of people will take it as, I just really like this. But what it actually is, is your mind is becoming more functional. Because when we read from left to right, we're, we're essentially going backwards. And we already see everything through the lens of the reversal of time. Wow. Very good point. And uh, the nature of how um, many levels... That's something, really something we have to keep in mind, especially when it comes to video games. Right. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Oh, I thought you stopped. I, I think you, we lost you for a sentence or two there. Can you go back like one sentence? 
Oh, I was saying um, that's one of the reasons why, like, um, when it, this idea of seeing things um, refracted in time, seeing things, um, mm. we don't actually see anything currently. We see light reflect reflect off of something, and there's a there's a, a time delay. So this idea of video games is is in time. It's, it's almost like um, it's almost like eschatology you you're really really in the moment so to be able to literally pause a game you know um it it brings a lot of things to mind especially um before you could save a game you know this idea of being imagine being able to load up a flash drive of all of your dreams right video games play to that aspect literally that is definitely true and I believe this is potentially the very first game that you could pause the action with. And it would just freeze the screen just as is. I'm almost 100% positive about that, as a matter of fact. So there, there's definitely something to be said for that. And um, I, I really like what you said about the manga, too. It, it just proves, again, you know, they, they don't do the left-to-right thing. So I am curious why. It could be a coding thing. I'm not sure. I don't think that it is. But... From then on, you know, games travel from left to right, almost always, unless they let you walk backwards. But um, eschatologically speaking, he almost does reach each level into his own demise in a certain way because he, it's not the end of the world, of course, but when he reaches the end of a level, he hits a flagpole and then he descends into the next area. He he ascends at the very end and then, then he descends. So there is a little bit of a, tiny element to reach there perhaps the nature of it all and at the end of each uh, level which is four there's four stages in each level we find out that he, you touch an axe the drawbridge goes away this dragon turtle um t-rex thing that breathes fire falls into a, a lava lake and then you go into the next room you find a talking mushroom and you find out that the princess is not there and you got to keep going so it just keeps getting let down over and over again. It's a point that I want to bring up maybe a little later to make sure that we get uh, all the things in order that that lead up to that. Because that's a big point to be made how the unattainable love of the princess, he doesn't find it until the eighth time, until he reaches the octave. And hopefully you guys can see where all this is going. There are, is really quite a lot of imagery and ideas in here that are substantial in our own world in so many different ways. And I want to also quickly mention, before we move on, because I, the, the stuff I had, the initial outline here, not necessarily the most important, but the earlier Nintendo systems, before this action set that came with the light gun, that put a gun in all these kids' hands, in a very playful way, but still put a gun in kids' hands, regardless. Um, they had this ROB, Rob, the robotic operating buddy. And it's just a hint at the transhuman world where the robot could, you know, put the game into the system for you. And right away, as much as a video game has you do everything, especially a game like Mario that doesn't really hold your hand with any kind of directions, you just learn the game by playing it, which is how it really should be, of course, especially compared to the games nowadays. There's already something doing something for you. It's already that idea that, you know, and usually your parents have to set up the system for you, even though it was very simple. So... There is definitely something to be said for that. Also, quick mention that you had to set your television to a certain channel 
to use your VCR and to use your Nintendo. And that was usually channel three. The Trinity, the Triad, or you could also choose channel four, number of perfection. So interesting stuff. You know, any comment on any of those things or any other ideas you have before we kind of get into the meat of the Mario Brothers series? Oh, God, you just said so much. Is <laughs> you know, very powerful what you said about the channels and having to tune into a certain kind of frequency because that, man, that, you know, that confused a lot of people. Mm. A lot of people, a lot of us got um, beatings from our grandparents for messing up the TVs. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, what's to do to my cable? And all that <laughs> kind of things, you know. Um, that, but it's you had to tune in. You really, really had to tune in. Wow. Um, when you look at the idea of the rich levels of symbolism in Mario, they were attempting to attract everybody and i mean everybody when you look at you know not to get too deep or go off on a complete tangent but when you look at mario and luigi we're talking about inky and enlil right we're talking about the tale of two brothers you see they they, they brought in dinosaurs they live in the or they they defend the mushroom kingdom or what are mushrooms right amanita muscara colors are very pre prevalent you know they yes. do have toad as an actual character right but then there's this idea of life being but a dream because when you really get into mario all the mario games are a movie right they're literally a movie there's curtains right there's actors they show you the 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 script of all the, the the cast of characters at the end of every game, and there's a character like to is that his name? Like uh, Lucky Two, Lucky Two, yeah, Lucky Two, who, who flies around with the camera. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like they they show you this, especially in uh, what was it? The very first, and they still do it, but the very first uh, Mario Kart, right? Yep. Uh, here, this yep. this whole idea of, of filmmaking, but they're they're telling you exactly what it is. They're telling you exactly what. All the symbolism is there. It's going to get you one way or another. And the, even down to how powerful the very first game is, it shows you the kingdom, essentially. It shows you the portals. Um, you get to go underground. You get to go under the water. There's a, a warp that brings you back to the beginning of the game. Right? So what is the, is, is that death? You know, like there's there's so many ways to interpret the symbolism. That's a very good point. You know, I, I think there's a really interesting facet of exactly that. Because as was customary in a lot of these kinds of games, it's not, you can beat the game in less than 10 minutes if you're really good. So it's it can be a fast experience. You have to use warps and special secret areas and you have to really know what you're doing. But that's a short game. Why would they sell that for $50, right? A lot of games needed what's called replay value in the professional term of it, where after you beat it, now what? Why do I why do I want to play it again? So when you finally beat the eighth level, the octave, you finally get the princess. It barely embraces, it's not that graphically inspiring or anything. And then it asks you if you'd like to play the game over in hard mode. And it replaces these Goombas, these little squishy little mushrooms that are very easy to kill, with these hard-headed black beetles. And the symbolism of the, of the beetle goes very far, and maybe we could talk about that. But there, you can't kill them unless you send them off a cliff, essentially. 
So the whole game resets, and there's a lot more of the color black put into it. And it loses a little bit of its kitty flair, and the game becomes essentially harder. So there is something of a death when you beat the game. You almost... A lot of people I knew didn't bother playing the whole game again with that. They like to just kind of start the game over. So there's definitely something to be said for that. I, I love that you mentioned that for sure. And, you know, maybe we could talk about that first. The idea of the overworld and the underworld. Because in Mario, and I'm sure almost everyone knows, I mean, this game has touched everyone's soul at this point. You can enter secret pipes, and sometimes not secret. And it would transport you down into a little underground area usually one screen that you can't keep passing through. There were entire levels of the underworld as well, but this is for the little secret areas. You get a few coins, the music changes, the color turns into a stark kind of greenish with black background, and then you're out. I know you have I know you have something to mention. And I, I didn't mention this, but you you're a you're a birthday expert in a lot of different ways and a gematria man. So I didn't I didn't reveal that level of expertise to anyone that's not familiar with your work yet. So I want to make sure that you know you get your full credit. Um, what what do you think about that? You know the whole idea that he's during his quest, where I'm not even sure if he knows the princess. He is he's traveling through warp pipes in order to gain access to these underworlds that offer the reward of coins, coins, maybe even suns. Well, here what what happens in you you you're going to get into to the core of some things. What happens in Mario uh, in the very very beginning? Uh, you don't actually see until Super Mario Brothers three, right? That's that's a part of the story that they they give you later on. Um, we don't see the initial letter or message or intuition or a spiritual inclination that the princess or the divine feminine sends to Mario. But that's like, there, there's this whole big element of that in Super Mario Brothers 3. You know, Mario, I'm over here, this and that. Um, that's essentially what happened in the, in, the, in the very first game, but they just didn't, they didn't feel all of that was necessary. So right. you know, they, they kind of um, uh, didn't add that in. What you, what you say about the reset, it's very, very powerful because that that theme is continuing. I believe they have something similar in the new um, Super Mario Brothers Wonder, which I have not played as of yet. Um, there's also an aspect of that in, I believe, the last Zelda, Tears of the, Tears of the Kingdom, which is supposed to be this incredibly massive game. And then you you realize there's a whole nother game under um, underground. The cave system. Uh, that, Exactly. You know, like that, that, that theme continues because there has to be a reflection. Everything in this room is a reflection of everything else. So the video, the video game is no different. I always found it very interesting that, you know, above ground, the mushrooms were brown. Right. And then once you go underground, the mushrooms were blue and the base kicked up. Like, like it's, a, it's a complete inversion. Um, and then when you get into the water, the mushrooms are octopi, but they still look like mushrooms, but they're pink. And we're talking about this Cthulhu unconditional love aspect because you're all all remembered in that. Jellyfish are are immortal, by the way. You know what I mean? So they knew what they do by they they, they knew what they were doing by choosing these archetypes 
or these different enemies. And so many are either vegetable-like, you know, from the Venus um, uh, fly traps to um, either being reptilian, you know, or ducks or koopas or whatever we want. You know, this idea of reptiles was very prevalent, even with Bowser, as you can see in the, your image. You know, he's a giant compared to Mario. Well, right. you know, now we're back to this idea of Sumerians, especially if you look at, um, what was that, Super Mario Brothers 64, where Bowser was so big on top of this giant octagon. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the symbolism is non, it's nonstop. It is nonstop. And even when you throw him into one of the bombs in, in, in the Mario 64, you know, you, you get to do it three times. After two times on a few of them, the octagon would go away and then there's just a pentacle sitting there. So you, and it might have been a, you know, might have been a pentagram depending on how you look at it, obviously. So yes, the symbolism is, is endless. And, you know, let's just mention, um, I was going to actually throw in this, the original Mario Brothers, the single screen game where you play either one of them, you you hit these power blocks that kind of act like EMPs almost. A little bit of predictive programming there, I think. But I don't think it's necessarily the most important aspect of what we're talking about here. I, f I failed to show this as Rob, by the way. This is the dude that could put your games in your system for you. He was very simple, bare bones, no big deal. But why don't we talk a little more about what kind of symbolism is actually present? This is just a screen that actually shows every single level in the entire game in one shot. You'd have to zoom in to check it out, but I'm sure there's little goodies hiding in there. Let's just start with this very, very simple idea. The first thing the game asks you to do, without saying a word, is to break a brick and then to hit a, question, a glowing golden question mark block to find out what happens. Every time you break one of these bricks, it crumbles into four little pieces and those four pieces fall. Mario is essentially taking down the architecture. And he does it, I, I believe this is from the Bible, without hammer or nails, right? Isn't it the temple created without hammer or nails? That's us, right? And correct me if I'm wrong. And, and he's destroying things without hammer or nails. He doesn't use any of that stuff. When you imbibe the power of a flower, you can then spit, well, people think, you spit fireballs, but he's actually just throwing them from his hand. This concept of fire and, and, and lightning in your hands, all very, very esoteric concepts. Do you know which phrase I'm speaking of? I, I, I forgot it. I forgot which one it is, the hammer and nails comment. Almost definitely. It's, it's a reference to Solomon. Because Solomon's temple, right? Yeah. Solomon's temple is ultimately talking about the body. We're not talking about an actual king who existed. When we break it down etymologically, we're talking about soul, right? Which is the soul itself. We're talking about om, which is the word that, like om, like that, that created all of existence. And then on, which is the light that comes from that, right? Which gets misconstrued as what, the, what it's called, like a big bang. So this idea of masonry, um, that has been so demonized um, and misconstrued and, and used for all the wrong things. It's, it's essentially talking about the mysteries of Isis or the mysteries of all set, the mysteries of feminine, femininity. Um, so to be able to build or destroy the temple without any tools because you are the tool mm. is a very deep concept um, that they display very simply. In Mario, because it's about taking 
the work and getting the best from it. So you have this brick that sometimes gives you a coin. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes like, you know, there are things you don't see that are still there just because you don't see them. It doesn't mean that they aren't there. Hence that invisible brick before the very first jump that you sometimes hit by accident. Like, Oh, maybe I should jump around a little bit more. Uh Like you're, in other words, you're rewarded for acting. You're rewarded for using all of your abilities to the max. Um, This is displayed brilliantly in a eight bit video game. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, that, that, adds to your ability to explore your ability to experience and your ability to perceive because logically certain things begin to make sense as you progress through the levels um but there there's so many paths you can take you know the idea of beating the game by skipping levels or beating a game by beating the challenge of every level um there's an aspect that told me that um they were how much attention they actually paid to different cultures in Mario 64. There are 120 red coins. I believe you're able to collect that gives you a secret ending, right? But if you look at the idea of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, and you understand that the nation of gods on earth taught the 120 lessons mm-hmm. because the 120 lessons, when you put them all together, equal 360. You can see what's being mimicked here, but this isn't universal to them or this game. It's a it's a it's a divine principle that's reflected in all. Yes, yes, it is. And the idea of um, it may be worth mentioning that you know there's base ten, which we're kind of getting pushed into with our our binary lives, computer wise. But there's also base twelve, which seems to be more useful in a lot of different ways. And we are all used to it; we just don't realize it. And there's the 120 versus uh, 10, because I think there's 10 red coins in every level, maybe on that in that game. But there's also this idea of 10 in Mario Brothers, uh, Super Mario Brothers, where you either find an invisible brick or you hit certain random bricks. And if you if you stick to a perfect rhythm, you get exactly 10 coins out of it. It's not 12. It's not five. It's not two. It's 10. It's always 10. So this number 10 is there. And that's another 10 that they want you to experience whether you realize it or not i was sure i liked the number 10 when i was little and it's a very important number in a lot of different ways and we could talk about that number for you know forever obviously but one of the first things you get is uh you get this amanita muscaria mushroom just pops out and then suddenly you grow in size you don't necessarily grow in strength or power but you can jump the same distance if you're running for example but you can now take a hit and you don't die right away so you do get an extra power i guess and if you get a uh, green mushroom you get a one up which really reminds me of the green seven up style logo i'm not sure if there's any correlation to be made there but speaking of base 10 you can also collect 100 coins and you get a free life and also maybe solomon is solo man in this case as well it could be the, the same idea, you know, as you often play these games as a as a solo man. <laughs> Is he a man? We never really find out about his age. We assume he's not a little kid, but he's pretty tiny until he takes that mushroom. <laughs> he's as small as the Goombas, right? So what about the shape of the coins? 
they're not circles like we may be expected to represent the sun, but they're more of an ovum. They're more of a yoni shape, a yoni shape. So I think that there's probably something to mention there. And before I leave it to you, what about good old Starman, a pentacle, imbibe the power of the pentacle, and now you're not only invincible, but you leave this like special trail behind you and and you, you, you just, you're, you're unstoppable, essentially. The music speeds up, turns into this very South American kind of rhythm. Um, interesting stuff that these things are all there and there's more, but let me, let me leave that with you. The mushrooms, the pentacle and the coins, the type of coins that we see in this game. Yeah. You see, there's no matter which direction we go, there's going to be so much here. You know, it's, it, it screams to the deeper meanings. When you look at the idea of 10, the rhythm and getting the 10, the 10 is the, New alpha, new it's the alphanumeric principle of divine, right? It is the divine masculine and the, the divine feminine. There's only nine numbers, right? One through nine. Zero is the divine portal. It's not a placeholder. It gives birth to those nine, and then everything after nine is a repeat. But ten is the union. Um, so they they display that perfectly, along with the idea of gathering 100% or exploring, experiencing, mm -hmm. completing, challenging, and um, ultimately ending in victory 100% of the simulation. This is why 100, co 100 coins gives you an extra life. The idea of the mushroom. Uh, I got to point out um, Super Mario Brothers 2, a.k.a. Super Mario The Lost Levels. Some people call it Super Mario Brothers 4, um, which was not released here in the West because it was such an incredibly hard and difficult game. Um, one, something that was very cool that made you really have to check your programming was they had this mushroom that would kill you. Mm -hmm. You know, you had to look very quickly to, to recognize the color so you understand how important color frequency is as well. They're teaching you this without telling you that that's what they're doing. Um, when you look at the idea of Yoshi um, in Super Mario World um, and the powers that that, um, that accompany the different totems in, in the original series, going from the flower, um, giving you the, the ability to shoot your own energy, essentially, um, that divine feminine, right? That, 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 that fire is directly feminine. Um, but the idea of a star, time becoming that much more important as you're now invincible. So you can fight anything and not die, or you can actually take advantage and just run. Right? Right. But this idea of tapping into your celestial power, because that's what that is. It's a, it's an automatic uh, activation. There's a game. There's a game that I think appears for the first time. It's either in Super Mario Brothers Three, Super Mario Brothers Three. All right, this is there's this hilarious, timeless meme talking about when my anxiety started, and there's this um, mix and match game <laughs> that happens in Super Mario Brothers Three where it mixes the flowers, the star, and the um, the mushroom. And the mushroom. But, he, but he, here's the connecting factor: they all have this, the exact same eyes. 
You see what I mean? So if you live long enough, you'll see the same eyes and everybody's a very old adage, right? They're, yeah. they're giving you all of this in the, symbol, in the symbolism without saying a word. Right. It's incredible. It is. And, and that little mini game is treated as a gambling slot machine as well. So if you didn't know anything about that, you're now introduced to that as well, which is good, bad, whatever. You know, it's uh, not surprising. There's a lot of gambling in Japan. I get it. There's a lot of gambling here too. But um, they weren't thinking about whether or not kids were, you know, going to go gamble because of that. But, you know, this, this is how we have to think about it. Every little thing that they place, as we are now proving, I think, is really quite particular. And there's a few really super interesting things that we didn't even discuss yet, right? So every so often, a hidden block will be a vine, and this vine now stretches out into essentially into the heavens. And you you can ascend this vine. It takes you right off the screen. And you can either enter this cloud area or you enter an area where there's just tons of mushrooms, essentially. And you're you're walking around on these mushrooms. It's a it's usually like a bonus area. You get these coins. I heard somebody mention once, and I'm not sure how valid this is or how many other people feel this way, but this idea that, because I came from Long Island, that's where I grew up, Long Island, New York. There's a lot of wineries there, a ton of wineries. And there's suddenly more wineries than there have ever been. It's almost too many, I'd say. Somebody was mentioning that the ground, you can't just put a winery anywhere you'd like, right? The vines don't suffer. They're just ready, they're right at the ground. Might have been an old gas station. Who cares if the ground's good enough to make a, a winery, right? The wine is not as good. When you go somewhere, let's just say Spain, France, wherever, the, the vines, they travel through the rock. They travel through treacherous territory to finally make their way to suffering, right? The suffering of, I guess, of, of Christ. Drink my blood, it, drink the wine is my blood. I think that there's something to be said for the ascension of the vine in Mario Brothers as well, for the suffering of some some figure, whether it's Christ or whoever you want to mention. Oh, most definitely. They know they know exactly what they're doing. It's, it's, see, the beautiful thing about symbolism is it's multidimensional. Mm -hmm. And you can you can attract so many more. It's good to see either we understand what a symbol means or we don't. Either it's beautiful or it's ugly, but it's going to mean different things to different people, which actually draws more people to it. So when we look at this idea of climbing a vine and going to another world, like um, typically you'll go up a vine and you'll be able to grab a whole lot of coins, right? So this is a reward for thinking higher, for having a, uh, a more bird's eye view perspective or a more spiritual perspective. They're showing you that it's more of a benefit to operate in the upper echelon than to just run along the ground, right? And we, you can see this reflected again in the, the levels where you have the, the, the flat treetops, right? Um, because there, there's a, a consistent amount of coins as opposed to the ground levels that only have coins when you jump. They're never on the ground. Right. You have to always, always ascend in some form or fashion. Well said. And the little underground spots that have coins are usually far less fruitful than the ones that are all the way above. And you can even kind of 
trick the game. Well, it's, it's there on purpose, of course, but you can get certain things by actually making your way. If you're skilled enough, you get to the top of the level above where you're supposed to be. And then you're blocking the numerical things that are showing on the display, how many lives you have, what the timer is, the level number. So very, very cute little addition to the game, I'd say, in that respect. And I, I always loved it for sure. So, you know, I, I think it's men worth mentioning one or two other things, too, before we potentially split off into a second part here, because there is a lot more, as a matter of fact. <laughs> it may not seem like there is, guys, but we really... There, there's just, it's, it is, like you keep saying, it's every little tiny thing. Every little tiny thing. Just imagine what you all thought listening to this when he mentioned the color theory. It's an incredibly um, profound thing, really. I want to mention this too. Speaking of, speaking of the Masonic ideas, this is really, it's not the very first it's a leftover from another Nintendo product called the Game & Watch, which, and I wrote this down, and I don't know if I necessarily feel this way, but it almost sounds kind of like porno stripper-y, which is not necessarily a good thing, but a Game & Watch, right? Um, 1980, April 28th, 1980, is when they released it. Single serving systems. You may remember the Tiger Electronics. It's a very similar concept to those kinds of games. If you're not sure, I would look it up to check it out. But... We have something on the controller in order for us to be able to move called a D-pad, a directional pad. You get the four compass points, north, south, east, west. And I think that's really another, the compass is another Masonic concept, no, no question, especially in their, their own symbol. You may have noticed I put it on the, in the thumbnail. So I, I thought that was fascinating, and it brings us back to the east, traveling east, the opposite direction of the sun, the opposite direction of the Monkey King after they removed Donkey Kong, King Kong, that is. And it makes me want to re-mention how many levels are in this game and how many times you are tricked and you almost are in this, like, fantasy this entire time. This whole game feels like a fantasy, you know, in its own respects. And there's plenty more to add to the coming games as well. So many things that you already mentioned. But if you, if you look at this, right, this is what typically happens at the end of each level. And you can see it says World 1-4. There are eight worlds, and there's four stages in each one. The fourth stage being a castle, where the music hypes up. Everything's far more difficult. You can touch... Everything you can touch kills you. There's pitfalls everywhere. This game has a lot of pitfalls, by the way. There's many times when you have to jump, or you're going to fall down through the... You know, you're going to fall into nothing and just die immediately. You meet this talking toad, Thank you, Mario, but our princess is in, is in another castle. This happens seven times. Musically speaking, that's an entire scale. And then we finally hit the octave, and we, the unrequited love is finally... We, we break the tension, so to speak. We, we remove ourselves from the fantasy. But now I want to throw this number at you as well. Because if there's eight worlds, four stages in each one, that's 32 and I've heard you say on other programs that 33 is a death number. And of course, we all know 33 as far as the Freemasonic, um, you know, you ascend to the 33rd degree. It's the Atlas vertebrae at the top of our spine. An obvious correlation to make. The ascension through your own kingdom, your own temple, 
So if you choose to start the game over, it comes back to this eschatological ascension like you had mentioned. We make our way to the end times. We play the whole game over, and a lot of enemies are replaced with these very almost skeletal remains of what they were, and they're much harder to kill. So it seems as if you do, you you reach the octave, and then you actually, by starting the game over, you you kick off this number 33, which is so impactful in, in these discussions in, in every direction. Yes, indeed. 33 is the highest degree that we can achieve in, in this realm, or so they would have you believe. Mm. Um, 360 would be the totality of that. Um, but that's only on the mundane level. 720 would actually be what we're going for because we're talking about the mastery of the unseen and the seen. Mm. So 33 is a principle that streamlines what's going to happen no matter what your perspective is. Because once you hit 33, which takes a, a certain level um, of study, a certain level of hunger for knowledge, um, a, a love of the unknown that you just can't teach. That's ultimately what we're getting at because every, everybody's not going to walk that path in this life. Um, and that's fine. There, there, there's no wrong here. But in order to draw in your attention and make this um, everlasting and iconic, this is why it is so, um, again, packed with the symbolism. When you look at Mario and how he displays, like Mario never talks. You know, like he never says a word. He only acts, right? right. We, like, we, we got to think about that. Like, you know, he, uh, he'll he say, um, uh, woohoo, you know, <laughs> woohoo. <laughs> and people, people actually think like, you know, he speaks Japanese. Right. You know, like he, he doesn't say, you know, um, it sounds like he says, it's a me, Mario. Right. But he's actually saying Itsumi because Itsumi is Japanese for super. So he's saying Super Mario, like, you know what I mean? But, but be, they, they let people assume their own things because, there's, because ultimately there's no wrong answer. It's just how we choose to see it. Yes. That is displayed um, incredibly throughout this series. I think about the idea of, you know, if anybody has ever had a dream where you knew you were you, but you were in the form of someone else, um, or or there were other people around you who you might have known was your mom, or you knew was your wife, or you knew was your husband, or you knew was your child, but they were in a different form. This is a remembrance or a, a portal into another life that you've already lived, right? This is displayed in this game series. And when you beat the game and then you know certain motifs change certain colors change it's the same enemy enemy but they're wearing a different mask like this is showing you reincarnation like yes yeah, it's, it's it's essentially the same it's, it's but it's going to look different mm. but what's really being conveyed here wow yeah it's it's very impactful in a on a, a level of a mirror, as you had mentioned earlier, the refraction, and it relates right back to the as above, so below, the overworld, underworld, 
it it really does um it really does you don't realize it till you're till it's now now we're looking back and we're like oh my god you see all these things and the entire series took it to a new level as we move on into the further iterations of the game we we've been hinting at it all the world's a stage the cameramen the cast of characters we've been hinting at it but there's actually a lot more to discuss and I want to leave this part one here with this particular idea, right? Because we've been, you know, there's this idea of that where we're kind of like fooling, we're being fooled. There's, there's some deception of the first seven levels aren't maybe, maybe aren't even real because the princess is not there. You know, Bowser, the last, the boss of each one, the, the, again, dinosaur, turtle, dragon thing. This is probably an imposter too until the very end. But because of the nature of, simplicity of this code that makes this game coming back to your nickname of konami codes or your uh is it your business name is konami codes your business name actually uh it is both yes it is the business name is um it's what i teach essentially um cheat codes are the first magic spells i ever learned um i got a download um I had heart failure in 2021 and essentially died about six times. And when I came back um, after having heart surgery, um, I got a download after I finally came home. Um, I was up very early in the morning and I was just kind of meditating and thinking and I received a gift um, I couldn't believe I had never thought about before when I realized um, my first magical inclination through the idea of video games and cheat codes, um, Contra uh, was one of my favorite video games and they had the Konami code yep. uh, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, start. And it gave you 30 lives at the beginning of the game. Um, by the time you got to the end of the game, you essentially knew the pattern, you knew the algorithms, you knew what you were up against. So you didn't really need the code after that. You know, you, uh, it made you a better player, um, but it gave you the ability to play as opposed to just having to start over at the beginning immediately mm -hmm. um, after only three lives. Right. And that, that, that hit me so profoundly when I realized that magic is just cheat codes to help you live out your own perspective. Like, you know, what, when we truly look at what magic is, your entire life has already been laid out just like this video game. Every single detail. You just forgot that, that you designed it, right? So we're down here fighting our own ignorance because once you're once you know better, you literally do better. So you you have no choice but to perform. It's nothing to play Mario and you know uh, write a dissertation at the same time because it's second nature at this point. That's ultimately what we're down here trying to do. That's all life is. We're trying to fight the ignorance to remember our greatest e expression. Right, right, really. And what a story, man. That's that's unreal, dude. That, and I'm <laughs> I'm glad you made it through, dude, because that sounds intense, and a lot of people may have uh, not made it through. So incredible you know yeah that code really was an impactful thing because you don't get much and that actually you know you start with the number two but life zero counts i think mario super mario brothers might be one of the only games where life zero does not count when it says you have one life left it means just that most other games you you, you get to play life zero 
And I think that's a very interesting uh, thing to to mention at, at the uh, near the end of this this first half here. But what I was what I was actually getting at is that you can you know before with the being fooled, being deceived, you can actually fool the code to make a mistake. It is unintentional. I was I found out that they did not put this in the game on purpose. That you can, if you do a certain trick on World One Two you can actually make the warp pipes, the secret warp pipes at the end, take you to the negative world, level negative one, which is a repeating underwater level that never stops. The game actually displays negative one. And again, you have to start, you have to reset the game to get out of it. It won't stop. So I found this fascinating for two reasons. Simple, weird correlation that almost shouldn't even make any sense, but I'm going to say it anyway, right? The 33rd Japanese Godzilla movie just came out. And the newest movie from Miyazaki, who made uh, Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke, is also in the movie theater at the same time. And they're just killing it at the box office. So Japan is in full swing right now. Mario Brothers' new movie just came out, too. We're going to mention that next, next, um, the next part of this ep- uh, episode. But by fooling the code, you have essentially revealed what is the 33rd level. It's minus one. The newest Japanese Godzilla movie, it's 33rd, is called Godzilla Minus One. So I thought that was a totally weird, out of nowhere, you know, connection to make. It might mean nothing. I realize that. (laughs) But crazy connection and it's all from Japan, you know. So crazy how these things happen. It always happens, right? So, um, you know, add whatever you want. But I think we'll end up leaving it here for the first part of this episode. And believe me, everyone, you'll want to make it over to Rockfin Patreon because we're just getting started, as a matter of fact, talking about even more of the crazy stuff that's going on in, you know, all the other Mario Brothers games, the movies, the comics, the Mario RPGs, Mario Soccer, Mario Racing. There's so much Mario Kart, of course, and plenty of other things. So give us a really good idea about where we can find you how to get involved in your world and take advantage of the incredible gifts that you bring to us, please. Because this has been an unbelievable pleasure. And add anything else you have about, you know, the series before we, we end here. Thank you. Thank you so much for the love and the opportunity, first and foremost. Um, you just blew my mind with <laughs> um, what you said because um, you're exactly right. Um, I love Godzilla. I love just about everything Japanese except for squid, right? And uh, squid ink ice, squid ink ice cream. I do not recommend that. But um, all else is good. Um, the Super Mario movie that just came out. I haven't watched it yet, and I'm going to actually watch it tomorrow for my birthday. So that's incredible that you brought that up. Um, and you're exactly right about the Godzilla minus one because, you know, and this is this is where the where the where the codes um, become so symbolic and important as far as knowledge go because and I I gotta I gotta give a um a recommendation for anybody who hasn't seen Ready Player One, the movie or read the book that is based off of um, the idea of Easter eggs and codes mm. is a very very old concept. Um, hiding a thing within a, within a thing. Um, there's so much interconnectivity. Japan is always on the code. Yep. They are always on the code. 
and they won't slack. You can see that being evident um, in their mentality from World War II on. I really can't stress that enough. And I, I've, I lived in Osaka for three years. Um, when you understand that uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki were, were firebombed, not atomic bomb, but that's a whole other story. Right. Because vegetation came back in less than six weeks. Um, these were the most melanated sections of Japan. Mm. And, you know, there's a great, great deal of mixing and respect among uh, that mixing and for that mixing among the, the Yakuza. But you don't really see that televised. Um, right. And that's that's fine because the people aren't put in a place of detriment because of that, you know, and, and they, they don't make a mockery of that in front of the world either. Like there, there's ways to do a thing. Um, I am Kilel Keanu. I teach Konami codes. Um, I am a gematria teacher, a numerology teacher. I am a historian. I love just about any form of media you can imagine because I study just about everything. Myth- mythology is in everything around us at all times. Um, I have a telegram. I have a wonderful, I'm one third of the Ronin experience, along with Mystic Ronin and Moonfeather. We have a show on YouTube every Friday night at nine o'clock. You can catch Moonfeather Wednesdays at eight o'clock. Um, and you can find me on Telegram, Facebook, uh, Instagram. If you would like any kind of numerology numer- reading, uh, I create grimoires that give you every form of occult decoding you can muster in one space for a very reasonable price. I'm not here for money. I'm here to help you remove your ignorance as best as possible and remove a little bit of my own in the process. <laughs> I cannot thank you enough for the opportunity. And I look I look forward to doing much, much more because there's incredible amounts of information here. We would never, ever be able to, to properly cover, but to attempt is so much fun. It sure is, man. It's a lot of fun to have you on board for this. Can't thank you enough. And um, some of the things you said are, they put my mind in a whole other spot now, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to the second half of this. And yeah, please do catch him. He's, he's doing some amazing stuff out there. All the links will be in the show notes, of course. So definitely check him out. And he's he's constantly offering gifts to the world, constantly. Just following him, you'll catch so many interesting things. And I I think that I think we're gonna leave it there. Really, this has been an unbelievable pleasure, and I'm I'm so excited for the next one. So hopefully, we'll see you guys in part two. And Kilel, thank you again so much. This has been a true honor. Absolute honor and a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. I cannot wait to do it again. It's been incredible. I can't believe the time has already gone. Oh, yeah. We're amazing. (laughs) Same here, man. Same here. All right. We'll see you guys in part two.